You know, I love the scripture about Jesus beauty in Song of Solomon, chapter five, verse 16, where he says he is altogether lovely. He is altogether lovely. There's nothing that's not beautiful about Jesus. His mouth is most sweet. The scripture says he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. You know, our team prepared that song weeks ago that they that we showed last Wednesday and then showed again today. Before I didn't even know the song until Wednesday and I didn't know they were preparing it and they didn't know I was talking about sitting at the feet of Jesus the last three weeks and talking about the beauty of the Lord. But it's all about his beauty and it's all about sitting in his temple. The scripture we started with last week was Psalm 27, verse four. Let me read it to you again. One thing have I asked the Lord. That I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple to gaze upon, to behold, to look at the beauty, the beauty. That word beauty there means absolute beauty, the most beautiful. It means the most precious part. And in the I love what he says in if you go back to verse three of Psalm 27, look at what he says is happening in his life. And why he's beholding the beauty of the Lord and why he's wants to be in the in the house of God, he said, though a host, an army. Encamp against me, my heart will not fear, though war rise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. I want you to think about this for a moment. Is there war rising against you, a war of emotions rising against you, a war of financial problems rising against you, a war of problems at your job, a war of problems in your finances, in your family, in your health? The Bible says, though, there's a war against me, though there's an army against me, my heart will not fear. But I will be confident. Why? Because this one thing I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And if you look at verse four in the message Bible, look at how precious he puts this word and this promise in Psalm 27, verse four. I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing. To live with him in his house. My whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty and I'll study at his feet. You see the antidote for the war that rises against us, the antidote for an army surrounding us, whether it's emotional with anxiety, depression, fear, whether it's financial with debt and bills, whether it's family with struggles and tension, whether it's tension in our nation, whether it's problems in our politics, problems in our world, a war of a virus that has been unleashed against the world, whatever it is, here is the remedy that I will dwell. I'm going to abide. All our job is, is just stay believing and looking and beholding this beautiful one. He says, I'm just asking God for one thing. Just let me live in your house my whole life long. I will contemplate his beauty, he says. 
and I'll study at his feet. You know, I believe in studying the word of God. I believe in digging into God's word and really getting a hold of the precious truths of the Bible. And I have taught you guys who know me to study the Bible and to study to show yourself approved and to study righteousness and to study his goodness and his grace. But I had missed in some ways the, the exact correlation that that causes us to want to study the word of God, to want to be at the feet of Jesus. He says this, I'll contemplate his beauty. You see, that is what God is after for us to see how beautiful he is. And when we realize how beautiful he is, it will it will naturally draw us to study at his feet. You see that? We're not studying at his feet because we want to be holy. We're not studying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being holy. We're not studying his feet because we want to please him. We're not studying at his feet because we want to be smarter. We're not studying at his feet because we feel it's an obligation. We feel we have to. We feel it's legalism and it's the law. We have to really study at his feet. We study at his feet because we become aware of his beauty as you contemplate his beauty, as his beauty is revealed to you. It says, I'll study at his feet. Why? Because I've I've discovered his beauty. I've discovered his beauty. You know, Jesus said something so beautiful about Jesus is when he said, come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever thought about why is his yoke easy? Why is his burden light? Why are these burdens easy and light? It's because Jesus is making a trade with us. He's taking our burdens. That are heavy and hard and difficult and oppressive. And he's giving us his burden, which is easy and light. And you know what his burden is that he gives us the burden to discover his love. The burden to discover his beauty, the burden to believe it's really not a burden, but he calls it that because he's making an exchange with us. I'm going to take your burdens and the burden I'm giving you back is simply the burden, the responsibility to discover his love, to discover his beauty, to discover his grace. Oh, yeah, that's the precious. That's our savior. That's how beautiful that he is. You know, the Bible was never meant to be studied as a structure of religion. The Bible was never meant to be studied as a book of rules, regulations. Some Christians have turned it into that. But it was never meant to be studied like that. It was never meant to be studied as just a historical book. It was never meant to be studied just from. Just to read it through from Genesis to Revelation, although there's something that I want to show you from Genesis to Revelation. But the Bible wasn't given to us to be read as a system of religion. It was given to us as a mosaic of Jesus. And if you ever ask me now, 
What should you study in the Bible? Where's the best place to study in the Bible? The best way and the best place to study the Bible is to look for Jesus. In every book of the Bible, look for Jesus, because every book you see, Jesus fills every book. He shows up in every book of the Bible, just like he shows up in every area of your life. You may not feel him right now, but he's in your body through the Holy Spirit. You might not feel him right now, but he's in your mind because you have the mind of Christ. You might not feel him right now, but he's in your spirit through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You might have been had some lonely days, but he's in your life. To soften those lonely days, you might be going through a struggle, but he's in your life in that struggle to help carry and take the burden from you. He's in every area of your life. He's involved in your past to bring you to him. He's involved in your presence to enjoy him. And he's involved in your future. To honor him and to bring him to others. He's in every day of your life. He's in your Sunday. He's in your Monday. He's in every day. Every year of your life, he's been there. Sometimes you felt him, sometimes you didn't. But his beauty is that he never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. If you want to learn to study the Bible the best way. Look for Jesus in every book. Look for Jesus in every day. Look for the good in every bad situation. Look for what God's trying to tell you. In the midst of your trial. Look to the one who's the the glory and the lifter. Of your head. In Genesis, let me just take you through this quickly. In Genesis, Jesus shows up. In Genesis chapter three, he's the seed of the woman who will crush Satan's head in Exodus. Jesus shows up and he's the Passover lamb that was slain for delivering. And for the deliverance of God's people in Leviticus, he's the high priest of God who goes before the Lord on our behalf, who goes before the father on our behalf. To stand in the gap for you and for me in numbers, he's the cloud, the glory cloud by day and fire by night in the book of numbers. In the book of Deuteronomy, he's the milk and the honey in the promised land. He's every bit of milk that a baby needs. He's every bit of honey that a bitter life needs. He's the land of promise in the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation, a mighty warrior going to battle for you and for me. In judges, he's the judge and the lawgiver. In judges, he's the strength of Samson. He's the spirit of the Lord that comes upon Samson to pull down the pillars of the temple to destroy the ones who are trying to destroy the promise of God and destroy the people of God. He's the strength of Samson when he rips a lion in half in the book of Judges. He's the mighty warrior in Jephthah's life that makes Jephthah a mighty warrior, even though he was born to a prostitute mother. Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer that Ruth comes and sits at the feet of. And receives her harvest from him, her increase from him. 
her love, her redeemer kinsman who marries her. Jesus is our redeemer kinsman who marries you. He loves you so. In first and second Samuel, he's the prophet that shows up. He's the man. In first Samuel. Carrying wine, a jug of wine and loaves of bread and a lamb because he is the wine, he is the bread, he is the lamb. In second Samuel, he's. King David. Making covenant with Saul and finding Saul. And finding it's he's he's Jesus, he's the he's David, King David that makes a covenant with Jonathan and promises Jonathan that he will take care. Of his children, if Jonathan were to die. Jesus is the David in second Samuel that finds Mephibosheth lame, broken, the son of Jonathan, and he says, I will bring this man home and he'll sit at my table and he'll eat with me. Oh, yeah, that's Jesus in second Samuel in first and second Kings. Jesus is the reigning king. He's the dream. That Solomon has. And says, I'll give you anything, Lord, give me wisdom, then I'll give you wisdom and everything with it. In first and second Chronicles. He's the one that fights the battle for Jehoshaphat. Don't send. Your armies out, send your worshipers out. And the enemy routed. Themselves. And Judah and Jerusalem were saved. In Ezra, he's the builder of the city, the rebuilder. Of the city of God in Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls in Esther, he's the savior of the helpless. He's the turnaround king that in one day turns the misfortune of Israel around. And in, when in one day they thought their enemies were going to destroy them, but instead they overthrew their enemies and God turned it around in a day. That's Jesus in the book of Esther. In the book of Job, he's the God of the double portion. He's the God who is with us in our human suffering and with us in our human pain. He's the God who believes in us. Jesus is the one who believes in Job in the book of Job, even though Job has gone into some dark times of his life. Jesus is there. When Job says, I know. That my redeemer lives, Jesus. Is the redeemer. Of Job's life and Job's family and Job's fortune. In Psalms, he's the good shepherd and so much more. He's the goodness and mercy that follows you all the days of your life. He's the one that will not take his Holy Spirit from you. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom of God. He's the understanding of God. He's the revelation of God. In Ecclesiastes, he's the meaning of life when life seems meaningless, when life seems frustrating, when life seems like it's it's sorrow after sorrow, vanity of vanities. Jesus is the meaning of life in the book of Ecclesiastes when it seems like all hope for life is gone. 
In Song of Solomon, he's the lover of our souls. He's the most handsome man. He's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys, the one who brings us out of the wilderness as we're leaning upon the bosom of our beloved Savior. Oh, yes, he's everywhere. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah, he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. In Isaiah, he's the one bruised for our iniquities, chastised for our peace. In Jeremiah, he's the potter and we're the clay. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man, Jesus speaking to the dry bones and breathing life into what was dead once again. He's the reviver of what is dead in your life. Jesus is that. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. He is the fire that consumes the fire. He is the fourth man in the fire. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. He's the mercy that is new every morning. He's the faithfulness that never comes to an end. In Hosea, he's the faithful bridegroom married to the harlot, married to the rejected, married to the sinner, married to the broken. In Joel, he's the restorer of the years that the enemy has devoured, Jesus restores the years. In Amos, he's the burden bearer and he's the one that walks with you for how can two walk together unless they're in agreement. In Amos chapter 3, verse 3, he's the one that walks with us to agree with us and to bring us into agreement with his love and with his word. In Obadiah, he's the mighty savior. In Jonah, he's the merciful and forgiving God. He's the evangelist to win Nineveh to the Lord. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's people. In Habakkuk, he's the great evangelist crying for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Haggai, he's the cleansing fountain, and he's the one to give you vision, and he's the one that will make sure that the vision comes to pass. In, Malachi, in Zechariah, he's the merciful father. He's the covenant keeper. He's the one who says that my blood will be shed to keep a covenant, an oath to you. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the savior king. In Mark, he's the savior servant. In Luke, he's the savior son of man. In John, Jesus is the savior son of God. In Acts, he's the risen, resurrected God, the resurrected Lord. In Romans, he's the justifier of sinners. He's the abundance of grace. He's the gift of righteousness. He's the one that takes it all for us so that we can have all that he is and all that he has. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he's the giver of the gifts of the spirit. He's the very definition of love. In 1st Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, in Galatians, he's the giver of grace, the giver of freedom with which he makes you free. In Ephesians, he's the unsearchable riches of God. He's the depth 
of God's love. He's the Lord General of the church. He's the bridegroom waiting for his bride and waiting for the right moment to blow his trumpet in Zion, to declare there's a wedding and the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready simply by believing in his faithfulness. In Philippians, he's the God who began the good work in you. In Philippians, he's the giver of strength. He's the one who supplies all your needs. He's the one that makes us thankful. He's the one that turns our prison into a palace, turns our suffering into the progress of the gospel, turns our worst days into our best days. In Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. He is God in the flesh in, where, in whom all deity resides. In first and second Thessalonians, he's the returning king. The one who catches away the church. The one who clothes his people and rescues them from the great tribulation. In first and second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. He's power, love and a sound mind. He's the spirit that sets you free. He's the one who brings the church together and brings his people together. In Titus, he's the faithful pastor. He's the one that preaches the gospel of grace, that there is no other gospel than the gospel of God's great grace, his unmerited love and favor. In Philemon, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood that washes away my sins. In Hebrews, he's the better sacrifice, giving us the better covenant, enforced with better blood, and the giver of better promises. In James, he's the great physician. He's the healer. He's the giver of righteousness, so your prayers will avail much. In first and second Peter, he's the chief shepherd. He's the one who didn't buy us or redeem us with silver and gold, but with his precious blood. He's the chief cornerstone upon which our lives are built. In first, second and third John, he is everlasting love. He is perfect love that casts out fear. He is the love that never fails. He's the love that made you first love, that loved you first and caused you to love him back. He is the definition of love for God is love. Jesus is everlasting and eternal love. In the book of Jude, he's the Lord who comes down with thousands upon ten thousands of saints and angels. In Revelation, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the washer of our souls. He's the kingmaker who makes us kings and priests in Revelation. He's the one who behold. He holds the keys of hell and death. And death will have no more reign. Yes, Jesus is everywhere.
Yes, Jesus is in every book. Yes, Jesus is in every day of your life, showing up with beauty, showing up with healing, showing up with wisdom, this beautiful Savior. You see, the Bible is full of Jesus. The only theology of the Bible is Jesus. It's his beauty. It's what produces and leads to everything good in our lives is the beauty of Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Jesus is the one. The first one who brought the good news, how beautiful are his feet, how beautiful are his feet that walked miles upon miles to bring the gospel, to bring healing to the world to bring himself to the cross, carrying the cross. How beautiful are the feet that were pierced on that cross as the nail went through both feet. How beautiful is the blood that drips down from the Savior's feet to cleanse you, to wash you, to purchase you, to save you, to rescue you. How beautiful are his feet. What do we find at Jesus feet? We find healing in Matthew 15, 30. Large crowds came to him, bringing with them those that were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet and he healed them. What do we find at Jesus feet? We find love. Well, the woman was at his feet and he said she's been forgiven much. That's why she loves much. What do we find at the feet of Jesus? We find miracles when Jairus falls at his feet in Mark chapter five, verse twenty two and says, come heal my daughter. She's sick and she's dying. And he fell at Jesus feet. At the feet of Jesus is thankfulness. Luke 17, 16, 10 were cleansed, but only one turned back to give him thanks and fell on his knees at the feet of Jesus. What is at the feet of Jesus? Authority is at his feet in Ephesians one, verse twenty one. He's been given dominion far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and over every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him as the head of Lord over all things to the church. You see, all things are under Jesus feet. And he gave. Jesus is the head of his church where his body. He's so beautiful. He's the highest place. And he goes to the lowest place. To bring you out of the lowest place and sets your feet on the highest place and sets you with him not just next to him, but Ephesians chapter two, verse six says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, not near him, not close to him, not by him, with him. How beautiful of a savior that seats us 
with him. Augustine, this great saint, provides one of the finest statements of the beauty of Jesus when he says. He then is beautiful in heaven. He's beautiful on earth. He's beautiful in the womb. He's beautiful in his parents arms. He's beautiful in his miracles. He's beautiful in his teachings. He's beautiful during his torture. He's beautiful inviting us home. He's beautiful in laying down his life. He's beautiful in taking it up again. He's beautiful on the cross. He's beautiful in the tomb. He's beautiful in heaven. You see, beauty attracts wonder and joy and arouses delight. We fall in love with beauty and Jesus is beauty. We sing the praises of beauty and Jesus is beauty. We want to stay in beauty's presence and Jesus is beauty. When Solomon succumbs to the beauty of Lady Wisdom in a book that wasn't included in the Bible called the Book of Wisdom. It's thought that Solomon wrote it when he said. He wants to live with Lady Wisdom forever, which represents Jesus. When I enter my house, I shall find rest with her for companionship with her has no bitterness and life with her has no pain. But has gladness and joy. That's what Jesus brings. That's how beautiful Jesus is. Life has pain, but Jesus. Absorbs it. As you live with him. In Mark chapter 10. Nowhere does Jesus say you must become like a priest and a prophet or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Rather, he says you must become like a child. Like a beautiful child. And what does Jesus do when the children come? He lays his hands on them and he blesses them. And he says the kingdom of God belongs to them. Jesus is so beautiful. In in Psalm chapter 50, verse two, he's described as perfect in beauty. The word means absolute beauty, the sum of all desirable qualities. He is the perfection of beauty. He's the sum of all desirable qualities. He's the total of all desirable qualities. Countless Christians have and others have seen. The sculpt the sculpture by Michelangelo of Piata at Saint Peter's Basilica. I have a picture of it to show you how beautiful Jesus is in his death. How Michelangelo depicts him in the arms of Mary after he comes down from the cross. One of the beautiful things as you look at this image. It's a masterpiece. This. Savior. In her arms is holding her in his arms. This beautiful man. This most beautiful man. Who took our shame. Took our sin. Became the curse 
made us righteous, suffered for us, descended so that he could raise us up. This is the only sculpture Michelangelo has ever signed himself. It's actually can be seen on Mary's sash that she's wearing. He did this sculpture when he was 25 years old. And he specifically has Mary's left index finger pointing out at anybody who sees this sculpture. Because his hidden message was. He did this for you. He did this for you. He did it all for you. How beautiful of a love. As I close, I want to ask you a couple questions. How beautiful are his hands as he healed the sick, as he multiplied bread, as he fed the multitudes? How beautiful are his feet where he walked miles and miles of broken, dusty roads to bring his message of love and salvation and healing to all who would listen? How beautiful was his prayer in John 17 when he prayed in verse 23, I in them, Father, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. How beautiful is his humility when in John 13, verse three, Jesus knew it says Jesus knew that at that time that the father had put all things under his power. He had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. How beautiful is his humility that when he knew the father had put all power under his hands, he doesn't take a bow. He doesn't take a throne. He doesn't take. A victory lap. He takes a towel in verse four. And he girds himself. And he pours water into the basin and begins to wash the disciples feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. How beautiful. Is Jesus. How beautiful is his heart. That sees his weeping mother while he's on the cross. And appoints John to care for her. As he hangs on the cross, his concern is not for himself, but for his mother. How beautiful are Jesus words on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them. He glances around at the soldiers who nailed him to the cross, the soldiers that gambled for his garments, the religious leaders mocking him, the blasphemous crowd. Hating him and a criminal on each side of him, heaping insults on him, the Bible says Jesus doesn't despise any of them. He prays for them. Father, forgive them. How beautiful are his words. How beautiful are his eyes 
How beautiful are Jesus' eyes that look at the thief next to him and sees this thief without judgment and without condemnation and without mention of his sin says this day truly you shall be with me in paradise how beautiful were the eyes of Jesus looking at that sinner looking at you looking at me how beautiful is his writing when he stoops down to write something in the sand and in the dirt to write something on the ground and says to the woman who condemns you now no one Lord neither do I condemn you now go sin no more how beautiful his writing must have been how beautiful is his love when he says in John 11 verse 5 he loved Mary and he loved Martha and he loved Lazarus how beautiful is his love when it says in John 11 verse 33 he saw Mary weeping and he was moved deeply and he came and was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said where have you laid him and they said Lord come and see in verse 35 and Jesus wept how beautiful is his love how beautiful are his tears you see real Christianity is this to catch a glimpse of his beauty and as a result to surrender your soul to the beautiful Savior if you've never accepted Jesus Christ today as your Savior and Lord would you pray with me out loud just pray this be sure you're going to heaven pray this prayer accept or receive this beautiful Savior this one with the beautiful hands the beautiful feet the beautiful eyes the beautiful love the beautiful words the beautiful writing this beautiful Savior that shed his beautiful blood for you and for me pray this prayer receive him today as your Savior and Lord just say Heavenly Father I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead and from this moment forward I'm a child of God the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all my sins and now I'm yours and you are my beautiful Savior now just lift your hands right where you are just lift your hands and let's worship him for a moment here I am to worship here I am to bow down here I am to say that you're my Yeah. 
unlovely about him. There's nothing that's not beautiful about him. And what's even more beautiful about him is he takes us into his bosom in all of our ugliness. He gives us beauty for ashes. He makes everything beautiful in its time. He turns your life into a beautiful story. And he will never stop loving you. He never has and he never will. So expect love, love, and more love. When they were out looking for him, he found them and gave them grace in the wilderness. Lord, thank you for grace in every one of us. Thank you for your grace in our wilderness. Thank you for the beauty of Jesus in everything we're going through. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, even in the midst of all that is happening in this world. Our eyes are on you, the author and the finisher of this beautiful faith, this beautiful love, this beautiful story. Be loved, child of God, today. Be loved.
brothers and sisters, be loved, sons and daughters of God, and everything is going to be all right. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Enjoy the rest of your beautiful day. We'll be back on Daily Bread every day starting tomorrow and our Wednesday special, special Bible study time together. Can't wait to see you then. God bless.